Hello, ARC family. I'm Mark Cleary, and I serve on the launch team here at the ARC, the Association of Related Churches. Here at ARC, we exist to see a thriving church in every community, reaching people with the message of Jesus. We recently celebrated 20 years of planting churches all around the world. We ended this past year with 994 churches to be exact, and the 2022 launch season is already underway, and we are getting ready to celebrate yet another huge milestone as an ARC family. As of this weekend, we have now surpassed 1,000 churches planted. Each of these churches started with a dream, a dream to reach people with the message of Jesus. These couples followed the call of God on their lives. And now, just imagine the communities, the families, and the lives these churches will impact. And you are a part of that. Whether you're a church that was started through ARC or you believe and invest in our mission, you are pivotal in the ARC family. These 1,000 churches, these 1,000 stories, are an extension of your church. So thank you for your prayers and thank you for your commitment to the vision. This is just the beginning. Hey, whether you are here in Mount Pleasant or joining us online or at one of our campuses, give yourselves a hand. You guys made that happen. Way to go. Whether it doesn't matter what community you're in, you're making a difference in communities all over the world because you're helping to plant life-giving churches there. So just share in that encouragement. You guys played a big part in that. It doesn't happen without your support, your encouragement, your generosity. So just want you to know that uh, this, like, like Mark said, this doesn't happen without you. You should be very encouraged. Well, good morning. Seems like a weird time to say good morning after I've said all that, but... Glad you're here. Hey, listen, I want to start today with a, just a story. It's, you know, you call it a joke, call it a story, but it's kind of the Christian version of a guy walks into a bar. So you just have to bear with me, all right? So there was an atheist who was out one day hiking through the woods, right? And he saw, as he was hiking, he saw this mama bear with two cubs, and he wanted to get close enough to get a good picture of the cubs, but he had to do it very carefully so he didn't spook the mama bear just because he didn't want her to notice that he was there, but she did notice. In fact, she'd been watching him the whole time. And eventually he got a little too close. And so the mama bear darted after him, started chasing him down to defend her cubs. And as he's tearing through the woods, he's hoping he can create some space between himself and the bear, but he just couldn't. No matter what he did, she's still chasing him, growling angrily behind him. And eventually he snags his foot on a log and falls face down in the leaves. And when he rolls over, there's the bear towering above him, just ready to rip him to shreds. And in that moment of desperation, he cried out, Lord, have mercy on me. And for a second, it was like he and God were in a conversation and God responded to him and said, are you serious? All your life, you have denied my existence. You've told other people I was a joke. And you've ridiculed them for believing in me. And now you want me to show you mercy? And the atheist responded to God and said, you're right. You're right. All of that is true. And, and it would be pretty lame of me now to pretend like I'm a Christian just so that you'll save me. But, but could you at least make that bear a Christian so that it, it'll have mercy on me and it won't tear me apart? And God said, no problem. You got it. 
And right away, he found himself again laying on the forest floor with the bear towering above him. But only this time he felt a bit more confident, thinking this Christian bear surely wouldn't eat him and instead have mercy on him. As he looked up at the bear, its paws stretched out above him, ready to grab hold of him. He noticed they started to lower and they kept dropping and dropping until they came together. And the bear said, dear Lord, thank you for this food that I'm about to receive. Now, why, why kick off today's message like that? Why do I share that story with you? Because today I want to talk about mercy. I want to talk about mercy. If you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that we've been in a series called How to Be Happy, where we're looking at some of the most famous things that Jesus ever said publicly. They were called the Beatitudes, and they were kind of like the Proverbs of the New Testament, and they, they talked about how we can experience true happiness in our lives. And what Jesus is really doing here with the Beatitudes is he's inverting the cultural understanding of the day, because he said things like, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. And we know that in the world's economy, there's nothing about poverty, mourning, and meekness that would lead us towards happiness, right? In fact, the world would tell you the opposite. The world would say it's power and pleasure and wealth. Those are the things that lead you towards happiness. And you know what? The world is right. If you want the happiness that the world can provide you, then power and pleasure and wealth, those are some of the best ways to go and get it. But if you want the happiness that God is offering you, it's going to take a bit more than that. Because the happiness of the world is fickle. It's fleeting. Just ask anyone who's ever had it. Whereas the happiness that God can offer us is solid and is stable. And the beatitude that leads us towards happiness that we're going to look at today comes from verse 7. In chapter 5 of Matthew, it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And as we look at mercy today, I want us to consider three questions. What is it? Why is it important? And how do we do it? So let's, let's just look at them one at a time for a second. What is mercy? Have you ever thought about that question? What is it? Well, people think about mercy in the same way that they think about something like chivalry, right? We've, we've heard of it. We think it's a good thing, but we don't really understand it. We don't know what it means. And I think that's true with regard to mercy as well, primarily because it's just become so rare in our culture. It's become exceptionally rare with the onset of cancel culture because cancel culture provides the perfect antonym to mercy in every way. They are opposites. Don't like someone's point of view. Don't like something they said. No need to try to understand them. Just cancel them. Just make them invisible. Within cancel culture, it's fair to say that the idea of mercy has totally fallen off the radar. At least the biblical idea of mercy that we see in the life of Jesus. And one of the best examples of that kind of mercy came on the night when he was arrested. You may remember the story. Jesus was in a garden with some of his friends and some religious leaders decided it's time to cancel him. 
And so they, they showed up with a crowd. They'd kind of worked into a frenzy. And Peter started to realize what was going on. So he drew his sword. He swung it at one of them, connected with them, and cut off an ear. And Jesus does something very strange here. He rebuked Peter. Not the crowd that came to arrest him. He rebuked Peter. And I, I believe he corrected, corrected him with a message that's for all of us. He said, put your sword back in its place. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Which, by the way, is a great reminder for those who would embrace cancel culture. Do you think that I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions, more than about 60,000 angels? Now, there are only a few events in Jesus's life that are recorded in all four Gospels, and that's only because they were written by independent observers who were writing about the things that stood out to them, that were most meaningful to them. But whenever you see something that is recorded in all four Gospels, it's worth asking yourself why. And this conversation with Peter happens to be one of those things. So why is that? Why is it in all four Gospels? Probably because the contrast is just too overwhelming to ignore. I mean, during his arrest and his beating and his trial and his crucifixion, there was never a moment, not one second, when Jesus couldn't have called down the armies of heaven. You know that, right? Not one second when he couldn't have done that. To bring justice against those who had come to destroy him. He could have held them accountable for their violence and their treachery and their arrogance. And they would have deserved every bit of that payment. But instead, he showed them mercy. And I'm using the word mercy here instead of grace on purpose. It's not, it's not that I don't like the word grace. It's just that there's a slight difference between the two, but it's, there, it's a very important difference. You see, grace is getting something we don't deserve, like eternal life or salvation, whereas mercy is not getting something that we do deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve, but mercy is not getting what we do deserve. We deserve the punishment that comes with our sin. It's an unfortunate reality, but it's true. But Jesus came to take that punishment for us, making the cross the ultimate expression of mercy. You'll never find a better one. The bottom line is this. We live in a culture that has totally lost sight of mercy, probably because the culture has taken its eyes off the one who embodies mercy. And the same can be true of us in some ways. We can frame the idea as a question and make it a little more helpful to us. Ask yourself this. Is it hard for you to show mercy? Is it hard for you to show mercy? Or you could say it this way. Is it difficult for you to not give people what they deserve? Because if either of those are true, if we have a hard time showing mercy in our lives, it may mean that we also have taken our eyes off the mercy that has been shown to us. So that's what mercy is. But why is mercy important? First of all, we, we need to recognize that mercy has two directions. It can be vertical and it can be horizontal. There's the vertical mercy that God shows us. And then there's the horizontal mercy that we show to one another. 
And in the, in the vertical context, the answer to the question of why is mercy important is obvious. Because without God's mercy, we would all have to face the full weight of our sin, something that none of us can do. But in the horizontal context, which is the context of this verse, mercy is important for two reasons. It reveals and it reflects. It reveals what's going on inside of us, and it reflects God's heart to the world. Now, let's look at them one at a time. Last year, my wife Dana had a neck surgery, and for that, she had to undergo heavy anesthesia. And so when the surgery was over, the doctors came to me and they said, hey, listen, Mr. Martin, everything went great. Your wife is being taken to her room now. You can go up there and meet her in just a few minutes. So I, I gathered up all of our stuff, all of her things, and went up to the room where they told me she would be. And when I walked in, there were two nurses in there who were taking care of her. They're actually, they go to the church, actually. Two identical twin sisters, just the sweetest young girls. And they were in there getting things connected and getting her settled. And as they were, they were talking to her and she was talking to them. And I could tell that Dana was not quite all there. Like the anesthesia had not fully worn off yet. And so after a few minutes of getting her settled, they then looked at her and they said, okay, Miss Martin, we're going to be back in a bit to check on you, uh, but you look like you're doing fine. And then they left. And then Dana rolled over and looked at me with this really confused look on her face. She goes, did you see two of them? <laughs> and of course, I reassured her. I looked at her and I said, no. <laughs> what are you talking about? There's only one nurse in here. I told her, no, there were two. They were twins. She wasn't losing it. But her question revealed something that was going on on the inside, right? That the effects of the anesthesia had not fully worn off. And the same can be true of mercy. Our outward expression of mercy and our reaction to mercy can reveal what's going on on the inside of us. There's so many examples of this in scripture. And one is a story that Jesus shared with Peter. Now, Peter started the conversation by asking Jesus a question. He asked him, hey, Jesus, how many times should we forgive one another? And then kind of start the auction. Peter threw out the number seven. Like, hey, is, it, is it seven? Seven is a lot, Jesus. Is seven good? And Jesus's answer blew him away. He looked at Peter and he said, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And you guys can do the math there. But what Jesus is telling us, the idea that he's presenting here is that we ought to be prepared to forgive one another literally hundreds of times, hundreds of times. Some of you are doing the math on your calculator. I know you are. Jesus's answer made it clear. That his idea of mercy and our idea of mercy are vastly different. And then he went on to tell a story about a man who owed a king 10,000 bags of gold, which in today's money is about three and a half billion dollars. And because the man wasn't able to repay the debt, the king ordered that he and his family be sold, which meant at that time, culturally, they would be made, they would be forced to be indentured servants working off the debt until it was repaid. But that amount of money, three and a half billion dollars, meant that he 
his children, his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren, and on and on and on, they would never be able to repay the debt. They would never again be free. And so the man cried out to the king for mercy. And the king had two choices here. Justice, give the man what he's earned, or mercy. And the king chose to have compassion on the man and released him from his debt, showed him mercy, totally erased it. The man walked away forgiven, free. But then he turned around and he found a friend who owed him about 100 silver coins, which in today's money is about $6,000. Still a lot of money, but, but doable. You can repay that. But without giving the man a chance, he grabbed hold of him and started choking him, demanding that he repay the debt. And the king heard about it. So he called the servant back in and he said, you evil servant, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? You see, in both cases, mercy reveals something. The mercy of the king revealed that he had received mercy from God and it redefined his life. And the lack of mercy in the servant revealed a heart that was hardened by self-interest and incapable of showing mercy to others. So whether we like it or not, mercy has the potential to reveal what's going on inside of us spiritually. Where there's an abundance of mercy, it reveals spiritual health. And where there's a lack of mercy, it reveals spiritual decay. But that's not all that it does. As much as mercy reveals what's going on inside of us, it also reflects God's heart to the world. Now, the, the word that we see used most often in the New Testament to describe mercy, it can also be translated as compassion, which if you break that word down into its Latin components, you get two words. You get com, meaning with, and you get passio, meaning to suffer. And so... The outward expression of biblical mercy literally means to suffer with one another. To suffer with one another. It's quite a picture. Jesus would go on to make this very clear in a conversation with some religious people a few chapters later. Here's how Matthew writes it. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees, the religious people, saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And what Jesus is pointing out here with this story is that sometimes the righteous can be more damaged by their righteousness than the sinners can be by their sin. Sometimes that even happens in the church. I mean, these would have been the people. These would have been the guys with the John 316 t-shirts. You've got one. You might want to cover that up for now. 
These would have been the guys with the Jesus bobbleheads on their desks at work, right? These would have been the ones rolling around town with the Jesus is my co-pilot bumper stickers. You ever seen these? They've been around a while. They're meant to be cute and, and say something about our faith. But in some ways, they can say so much more about our heart. I mean, think about the words for a minute. Jesus is my co-pilot. Implying that if driving your car is the analogy for life, that Jesus is just there to assist you and help you go wherever you want to go. It's a pretty scary statement when you think about it. I mean, what it ought to say, if it applies to our lives, is here, Jesus, I'm sorry I stole your keys. You made this life. And I hijacked it for my own pleasure. When Jesus said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. What he was saying is, I want from you compassion, not your sacrifice. Meaning I'm not really interested in any kind of religious piety. What I want to know is, are you willing to suffer with people who are hurting? Because a true indicator of spiritual well-being is growth in our ability to love God and love others. And, and this is why the dream team is so important at Seacoast, all the volunteers who make it happen. And I, I know you're probably thinking, okay, here it comes. The pastor's going to tell us we all need to serve on the dream team. And you're right, I am. But not for the reasons that you'd think. It's not for us. It's for you. Because we all need the ability we all need the opportunity to grow in our ability to love God and love others. And that's what the dream team provides for us. Jesus would go on and do something similar with another tax collector named Zacchaeus. You've probably heard of Zacchaeus. He was a, a tax collector employed by Rome to collect taxes on, for, from his Jewish brethren. And to be fair, Zacchaeus was not a tax collector. He was the chief tax collector. And so he did what they all do. He collected what Rome required, but he also charged a little on top to line his own pockets. And as the chief tax collector, people hated him. They considered him a sellout and a thief, having become very wealthy on the backs of his own people. And one day Zacchaeus heard about Jesus coming through town. And so he climbed up in a tree to get a look at him. And, and Luke tells us that when Jesus reached the spot where Zacchaeus was, he looked up in the tree and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. And you know, you know this had to be the moment where all the Jewish people were thinking, oh boy, he's about to get it. He's had it coming for so long. He's about to get what he deserves. But Jesus looked up at Zacchaeus and said, I must stay at your house today. Basically, he invited himself over for a meal. In this moment, when Jesus could have blown him up for all of his years of thievery, he looked up at him inst instead and said, hey, man, you want to grab lunch? It was so offensive to the religious people. They couldn't believe it because this was not what he deserved. In no way did Zacchaeus deserve mercy, but that's exactly what Jesus gave him. For the religious people, it was hard to see Zacchaeus receive mercy because they had lost sight 
of how much they needed it for themselves. And the same can be true of us. The same can be true in our own lives. When we find ourselves frustrated at the mercy that other people receive, it may mean that we've lost sight of the mercy that we've been shown. But when we are deeply aware of the mercy that God has shown us, and when we're willing to show that mercy to other people, we reflect God's love to the world around us because mercy reveals and it reflects. So that's what mercy is, and that's why it's important. But how do we do it? How do we cultivate mercy in our lives? What have any hope? To have any hope at all of showing mercy to others, we first have to receive it for ourselves. John Piper says it like this, mercy comes from mercy. Our mercy to each other comes from God's mercy to us. And this is important because if we find ourselves incapable of showing mercy to other people, then we need to ask ourselves the question, have we truly received it ourselves? And this leads us back to the first three Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. And blessed are the meek. Have you ever wondered why those were the first three? Have you ever wondered that? It wasn't a random order. It wasn't like Matthew was just trying to fill it up. It was not random. There was something significant about it. Remember the story about the king who forgave the servant. The servant got two things right, and he got one thing very wrong. Jesus started the Beatitudes with, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The servant in the story had to acknowledge something difficult about his life. He was bankrupt. He owed a debt he could never, ever repay. And being poor in spirit, it means something similar. It means that we become willing to acknowledge that we are spiritually bankrupt. We owe a debt we could not repay. Here's the second thing the servant got right. In the second beatitude, he says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. When the servant realized just how bankrupt he was, what did he do? He cried out, right? He begged the king for mercy. And to mourn in this context means that we recognize all we can do is cry out. We can't contribute anything. We have a problem called sin and we can't fix it. And so we cry out to the king for mercy. And then Jesus writes, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. And here's where the servant got it wrong. He wanted forgiveness for himself but he wasn't willing to show forgiveness to others. He wanted forgiveness from the king, but he didn't want to live like the king. He wasn't willing to humble himself in meekness, surrendering his way of life to the king's way of life. And what's important to understand here is that this is a question I think we all need to wrestle with a bit, is that the forgiveness we offer others it's an indication of the forgiveness we've received. The forgiveness that we're capable of offering to others is an indication of the forgiveness we have each received from God. And honestly, this is where a lot of us struggle. This becomes very difficult for us. We want forgiveness from God. 
but we don't want to surrender to God. We don't want to give up our way of life for his way of life. And like the servant, we end up forfeiting the freedom that our king is offering us. So back to the question, have we received God's mercy or how do we receive God's mercy? Well, first, we've got to be poor in spirit. We've got to recognize that we're spiritually bankrupt. And then we've got to be willing to mourn that reality, crying out to the king for mercy. And then we've got to be willing to humble ourselves in meekness, surrendering our lives to the one who gave them to us. The first few Beatitudes, these first three, they're a step-by-step process of, of what it looks like to receive God's mercy, of what it means to be saved. In fact, Augustine referred to these first three Beatitudes as blessed emptiness, meaning there's a blessing in learning that we are empty apart from the relationship that God is offering us. Now, that's the first step of receiving, of of cultivating mercy in our lives. We've got to receive it from God. The second step is more of a a daily routine. And to explain this, let me me just give you a a, a kind of a perspective into my message prep process. I, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but I'm very nervous when I speak. And like, I, I love preparing a message. I love to dig in and see what the scriptures have to say. I feel like I was made to study and learn and all those things. But to get up here and deliver it, that makes me want to pee my pants a little bit. <laughs> I'll usually finish writing a message about two weeks ahead of when I need to give it. And then it begins this refining process of me telling God, Hey, I'm done with the message. And God telling me, that's cute. I have some things I want you to change. (laughs) And that happened about a week ago when our daughter Emma said something that kind of helped solidify this last point for me. She's a a sophomore in college, lives with four other uh, college girls, which I don't know if you know, but that is a perfect recipe for drama. I mean, they're all very sweet. Truly, very sweet Christian girls, but they are five 20-year-old girls. And so sometimes there's drama. And so what she told me is that at the, since the start of the new year, that she was being very deliberate about making listening part of her daily devotional time. And she had found that she'd been much more patient. There was more grace, more mercy. She was becoming less frustrated with things. And I believe that's what it takes. I believe that if we want to grow mercy within us, then we will have to give God some time to grow it. That means time in his word, time in prayer, time in worship, time with others in a small group. What Emma doesn't know I'm going to struggle here a little bit. What Emma doesn't know, what nobody really knows is that, is what happens when she's up here at times leading worship with the worship team. Listen, I know that some of you don't like how loud the music is at Seacoast. I've heard you. (laughs) 
But personally, I like it. Because sometimes I'm not worshiping. Sometimes I find myself screaming out to God. I don't mean in like a figurative sense. I mean literally screaming out to God. And none of you can hear it. (laughs) Sometimes when Emma has been up here on the stage with the worship team singing, I found myself screaming out to God in prayer. God, let the words that she is singing go into her even more than they are coming out of her. And I can see him doing it. It's happening. I can see it happening in her life. Listen, if we want mercy to flow out of us, then we are going to have to let mercy flow into us. And that will require some time. Time in his word, time in prayer, time in worship and with a small group, just time. But if we will give God that time, if we will let his mercy flow in, then he will make his mercy flow out of us. Now, as I close, I want us to remember the story that Jesus told Peter about the king who showed the servant mercy, because there's a picture here that needs to be permanently etched in our hearts and in our minds. When the servant realized the debt that he owed, he fell before the king and he said, be patient with me, have mercy on me. And that day, the king forgave a tremendous debt, a debt that would never be able to be repaid by the servant. And the easy mistake that we could make here is to think that mercy didn't cost the king anything. We know that's not true. Because whenever a debt is forgiven, it doesn't just evaporate. It has to be taken as a loss by the one who is forgiving it. The king, to forgive the debt of the servant, he would have to take a great loss that day. So can you see what Jesus is pointing at here? To forgive our debt, our king would have to take a great loss. He would give his only son as payment to settle our debt. And in doing so, he would show us a picture of mercy that would remain unrivaled for all of time. You'll never see a better one. And he would also demonstrate what it ought to look like when we show mercy to one another. It will cost us something, but it will bring blessing into our lives. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that in your mercy, you were willing to settle a debt 
that we could never, ever repay. And I pray, God, that as we learn to receive that mercy from you, you would help it to flow out of us to others. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's what we want to do for the next few minutes. We want to give you a chance to just respond to God. Consider two questions. What is he saying to you and what do you want to do about it? And so some of you, as we've talked about mercy today, it has you asking yourself some questions. Maybe you're starting with, have I truly received mercy from God? Have I recognized that I'm spiritually bankrupt? Have I cried out to him? Have I been willing to surrender my way of life for his way of life? Maybe today's the day to take that step. If that's you, I'd encourage you to come to someone on our prayer team. They'll be down front. They would love to pray for you. That you would receive the mercy God is offering and start to step into the freedom that he died to bring you. For others, you may be thinking about someone that you care about who just doesn't yet understand the mercy God has for them. If that's you, I'd encourage you, go to one of the candles, light a candle, ask God to bring his light into their mind and heart that they would start to see it. They would start to see just how deeply God has loved them. But, but recognize this. You may be part of the plan. You may be someone who will reflect the mercy of God into their lives. So ask God to show you what role you're going to play there as well. For some of you, as we've talked about mercy today, you know exactly who in your life you need to show mercy to. You know it's going to be hard, but you know it needs to be done. If that's you, I'd encourage you, go to one of the crosses and just write down the name of who you're thinking about or the names. Pin it to the cross as your way of committing to showing them mercy. And, and it may be that as we've talked today, you've realized I need to start letting mercy flow into me so that I have it to give to others. Well, what's your next step going to be there? Will it be that you make a commitment towards more time in worship or prayer or in his word or with a small group or on the dream team or whatever? There's so many ways you could get connected. Write down that as well. Pin it to the cross as your way of committing to growing in your capacity to love God and love others. Also, as a part of response time, I want to invite you to come and take communion. You don't have to be a member of Seacoast, just a member of the body of Christ, remembering the mercy that it took for God to give his body and blood on our behalf. And then also, I, I want to invite you during response time to consider how you might be generous. You saw the impact of generosity. And I don't mention this for us. Like the dream team, this is not for us. It's for you. Generosity gives us an opportunity to learn to trust God as our provider. 
And then we're gonna continue in worship together, giving praise to the God who by his mercy settled our debt forever. So let's respond together.